Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Good morning. Jesus is alive. Resurrection. It is so good to, uh, yeah, we can have a round of applause for that. That's legal. That's good. It is really so good to be with you. Um, Kay and I got back in from the States about three weeks ago, having had about 94 COVID tests. And uh, been, uh, there's been some gathering over there, and so I've been preaching over there. But I think this is the first time, I know it's the first time I've preached live in the UK in about 13 months. And uh, so it's really a joy. I do need to confess some sin before we go any further. Is that all right? Um, just need to get this off my chest because the, it was so lovely. Well, you've got a brilliant worship team, haven't you? Here, you and I, we like them. They're good. And um, I, I'm going to have a word with them afterwards. They're all coming to Colorado. You're losing them. So, um, no, just kidding. Um, but uh, I have to confess that during our service this morning, um, I did sing three or four lines behind my mask. Um, no spitting was involved, but um, so I confess that. I think I saw Steve do a couple as well, but um, there you are. And if you're watching online, greetings to you as well, especially in Antarctica. Put a sweater on or something. Um, it really is good to be joining you. Uh, in this period of lockdown, all kinds of things have been going on, and I've been writing books. And since I last saw you, um, three new books have come out. Um, this one is called Singing in Babylon, Finding Purpose in Life's Second Choices. It's part of the big church read in the UK right now. Church is getting together to read this. All about the story of Daniel, how often we experience life's second choices, circumstances that we would not choose. The whole planet has been in second choice. And so uh, that's what this book is about. Uh, this book is called Notorious. It is an integrated study of the rogues, scoundrels, and scallywags. What a great word. Scallywags of Scripture. What can we learn from some of the naughtier people in the Bible? And then finally, this one here with a rather strange cover, a log with a pair of glasses, which I think is supposed to be me, which is quite rude. And it's called Specks and Planks. Uh, various articles uh, make you laugh, make you cry, make you think. Um, that are put together. So those books are out there. I often say when I come to C3, I've been coming here about 200 years, I think. And uh, I often say that I would never want to overstate the value of my books. That would be inappropriate and wrong. But it's God's will that you buy them. So why resist my people? So those are out there. And Kay, my wife, uh, sitting at the front row looking like a bank robber, she is um, out there to um, serve you with those. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 24. Um, it's the road to Emmaus story. Resurrection Day is drawing to a conclusion. I know last weekend you were thinking about resurrection, then previously, of course, celebrating Easter. Luke 24, this couple who are on their way home at the end of Resurrection Day. And we read, verse 13, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? 
They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I mean, it happened again last night. This often happens to Kay and to me. We arrived in Cambridge and uh, checked into where we were staying and it was time for dinner, so we went out for dinner. And when I say we went out for dinner, we literally went out for dinner um, because there was a marquee parked in a garden and uh, we went outside and, um, and um, had dinner in the marquee. And this often happens when we go for dinner. Um, I, I, it's, it's true of both of us, but Kay especially likes to listen to other people's conversations. Uh, I'm thinking about, she's just had a birthday and I'm thinking about buying her an extra present of surveillance equipment so she could go a little bit more technical. Because what happens is, you know, we're sitting there eating the cheeseburger and the hoomy burger, very nice, I'd recommend it. And uh, suddenly I can see Kay's eyes glazing over and this is because of two things. Our conversation has obviously become slightly less interesting, but she also tilts her head slightly to the right. This is a signal to me, shh, shh, shh they're more interesting than you. And so I tilt my head also, and we are just uh, listening to these two couples uh, who I'm really hoping are not here or watching online, that would be awkward. Um, and they were talking about their weddings and the hen parties that they'd had, but I was only getting a certain amount of it. And, and here's the thing, I really wanted to just get up and go over to the table and say, look, could you just give us the whole story? because we really want to know what was going on. That is exactly what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, because these two are walking home. This couple are walking home. And he goes up to them and he says, what are you talking about? Which under normal social conditions would seem to be a bit rude. Now, 
This was at the end of the Passover and Jewish travellers going home, it would be not unusual just to join a group and start having a natter. But, but Jesus went beyond that. He goes up to this couple and we don't know much about the couple, by the way. We know that one of them is called Cleopas and Cleopas may have been Joseph, Joseph's um, brother, Joseph you know, the fiancé and husband of Mary. So he might have been Uncle Cleopas. We really don't know. Frankly, it doesn't matter. And we don't know the identity of the other person. Most people think it was his wife and perhaps she was called Mary. And if that's the case, she may well have been at the cross. The thing is this, we don't know definitively who they were, but Jesus goes up and says, um, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's a rather unusual and beautiful scene. And they don't recognise that it was him. You see, that, that can be one of the infuriating things, actually, about faith. Because I'd like faith at times to be a bit more obvious. It would have been handy if Jesus, I'm not being irreverent here, if Jesus had a badge. You know, like when you go to a party and there's a smiley face and it says, Hi, Jesus. That would have been really useful, but they don't recognise that it's him. So what do we learn from this story? First of all, we realise that we are called to learn in the mysterious journey. We're called to learn in the mysterious journey. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up, walked along with them. They were kept from recognising him. They're travelling along. Now, a lot of commentators suggest that they were supernaturally prevented from seeing that it was Jesus, but the Bible doesn't actually say that. It literally says their eyes were under arrest. The Greek word is kratio. It's the same word to describe the arrest of Jesus. And it's very possible that God wasn't preventing them from figuring out who Jesus, that it was Jesus, but perhaps tiredness, perhaps disappointment, Perhaps unbelief, just preoccupied with getting home. And here's the thing, Jesus is standing right there. But they don't realise that he's standing right there. I am reminded of a moment in a Bugs Bunny episode. Anyone remember Bugs Bunny? Wave at me if you're familiar with that great theological treatise. Bugs Bunny. And do you remember little Elmer Fudd? Little Elmer Fudd, little bloke, big gun. And Bugs Bunny goes up to Elmer Fudd, who's standing in a bush, and he says, what's up, Doc? Because that's what Bugs Bunny always says. And, and Elmer Fudd says, be very, very quiet. I'm hunting rabbits. I've been practicing that for months. Thank you so much. There is a dirty great rabbit standing right there. I'm hunting rabbits. He doesn't notice. And I think that that can happen to us. I mean, it's a bit frustrating. Jesus didn't say, hey, hey, it, it's, it's me. It, it's, see, the, see the scars in my hat, hands? He, he doesn't immediately introduce himself at all. This speaks to me of the fact, frustrating at times, that God wants us to 
gain insight and wisdom in the journey on the road. And I, and I want to download it all. I want the mysteries to be solved. I want the grief to go away. I want the COVID to disappear. But he asks me to walk with him in the journey. This is a time when we shouldn't be wasting our sorrows, as Paul Bilheimer's book puts it, that we should be learning from this unprecedented time when there's been an unprecedented use of the word unprecedented. This is a time that we have to say to God, I don't want to lose the gold that I've gained in the furnace of what has frankly been a horrendous season. And I also want to say, is it possible that Jesus has been showing up in your life, in mine, and he's, he, he's been doing the thing he often does, he comes quietly. See, I want him to come with fireworks. Ta-da! I'm risen, 65,000 angels in fluorescent yellow Doc Martins partying on the side of the road with the hallelujah chorus being played prophetically because it wasn't written at that point. That's what I want. I wonder if Jesus has been trying to show up in your life and it's been a hint, the memory of that Sunday school lesson, that thing that grandma said to you about him walking on water back then, that prayer that you prayed that God answered and you said, yeah, just coincidence. How has he been trying to get our attention? Secondly, let's embrace the gift of disillusionment. Embrace the gift of disillusionment. These two are really sad. It says, verse 17, they stood still, their faces downcast, and then they say, we had hoped. You know, sometimes the only prayer you can pray goes like this. We had hoped. We had hoped. And as we looked and that very poignant picture. Thank you, Steve, for leading us in prayer for the royal family today of Her Majesty with her head down. The scripture here paints a picture of these two who just stop and their heads are downcast. It is as if they haven't got the energy to take one more step. You ever felt like that? I have. I just want to lie on the floor or lay on the floor, whatever the grammar is, and just feel overwhelmed and sometimes experiencing the gift of disillusionment can be a beautiful thing because when you're disillusioned you're divested of an illusion and you face a reality and you embrace the fact that yes we're not exempted from trouble and pain and, and grief and when we look in the Bible at people like Jeremiah and Jonah and Elijah and we listen to the psalmist who says things like why have you forgotten me why have you rejected me? John Goldingay says the psalmist assumes that God is big enough to take it and loving enough to absorb it. There's a difference between cursing God and being authentic in prayer towards God. Some of us today, in the midst of our worship, we're also frustrated and a bit angry and I don't know the stories of personal pain and grief and economic challenge and all of the rest but we bring that to God. It's all right to say to Jesus, well, I had hoped. I had hoped. Thirdly, let's let Jesus be Jesus. Let's let Jesus be Jesus. These two, they say, we had hoped that he was gonna be the one who was going to redeem Israel. I wanna explain something here that unlocks the entire New Testament. 
You see, we've got to understand that Israel was expecting a Messiah, but they had framed in their minds what that Messiah would look like. They did not have a king. There was a king, King Herod, but he was a puppet paid by his Roman taskmasters. He was not in the line of David. They did not consider him to be their king. Now they were a people in lockdown. They were locked down under Roman occupation, forced to pay terrible amounts of taxes. Carry my bag for me, says the Roman soldier. You have to carry it too. They are in a lockdown situation and they are looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a son of David to come. Do you remember back on Palm Sunday, Jesus came down the Mount of Olives, which would have been seen by the people as a fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah 14. Messiah's here. And they weighed palm branches. Why'd they weigh palm branches? Because the palm was the national symbol of Israel. It was printed on their coins. This is, this is a moment of national deliverance. Jesus is gonna kick those hated Romans out and reestablish Israel once again. That's why James and John and Salome, their mother, came to Jesus when they knew he was headed to Jerusalem. And Salome said, how about a throne for my boys? One on your right, one on your left. Why? Because the earthly military Messiah was coming into town. They'd all figured out what he would be like, but they didn't notice the donkey. Because a military Messiah would ride a war horse, not a donkey. And he was coming in to be exactly what they need, but to be the least that they expected. What's that got to do with us? Tom Wright says the people wanted a prophet. This prophet would tell them that their city was under God's imminent judgment. They wanted a Messiah, but this one was going to be enthroned on a pagan cross. They wanted to be rescued from evil and oppression, but Jesus was going to rescue them from evil in its full depths, not just the surface evil of Roman occupation and the exploitation of the rich. That's why the crucifixion was so devastating. Their rescuing Messiah had been executed. And what's this got to do with us? I think sometimes we can create a vision of Jesus. Not sometimes. I think every single person in here and watching online, myself included, we've all done it. We have not downloaded a perfect picture of Jesus. Our picture of Jesus is made up from 10,000 worship songs and 20,000 sermons and 40,000 conversations over cups of tea and rich tea biscuits and, and 400 small groups and our upbringing and the bits of the Bible that we like. And so we can create a Jesus who is the Jesus that we want him to be, the Jesus the God of my preferences, the side of him I like. I like it when he does all that nice stuff welcoming the children, but not quite so keen on some of the red hot statements about judgment. The God of my nation, the God who is like me, the God who supports my cause, but ignores the causes that I'm not really into. The Jesus that I can understand. The Jesus who wants me to be comfortable. The Jesus who is the first responder, who, who will always show up if I dial 999 in prayer. The Jesus who always says yes. The Jesus who always says no. It's been said that God made humanity in His image and ever since then, humanity has been trying to return the favour. At this time, let's ask Jesus to be Jesus, 
Not what I want him to be, but who he is. Fourthly, in this moment, we see the importance of being rooted in Scripture. What an amazing talk this must have been. Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. I wonder what the content of that little talk was. I'd love to have heard it. Did he... Did he point them to the tabernacle and the temple and how they pointed to him? Did he talk about Moses leading the people out in the Exodus and then tell them that he was the new Moses leading the people out in an Exodus from the power of sin and darkness? Did he, did he, did he take them to Isaiah 53 and talk about the suffering servant? Did he, did he turn to Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And did he explain, well, that's why I use those words on the cross. But here's the point. These two were to be rooted, not just in the experience of Jesus, which was momentary, because he disappeared as soon as they recognized him. Can I just say, that would really have irritated me. I've just figured out who you are and poof, well, thanks a lot. Really helpful. But they were not to be rooted in an experience which is transitionary or temporary. They were to be rooted in scripture. I heard just this morning, looking on, I was looking on Facebook, just checking out what my friends around the world were having for breakfast. And uh, John Drain, who used to be a chaplain um, to the royal family, John's been at Spring Harvest, met him a couple of times, and John was talking about a conversation he had with the Duke of Edinburgh, planning his funeral. If you saw the funeral yesterday, you would have seen that they played the last post, and then they played Rivali, and then Action Stations. And the BBC commentator earlier in the day said, yeah, they're playing Rivali because it's a new day in British history. Wrong the Duke of Edinburgh told John Drain, he said, we're doing this because the last post speaks of death, but the Rivali speaks of resurrection and new life. And here's what Prince Philip said, and I love this, because he was a bit of a joker, wouldn't he? He said, only those who know their Bibles will get it. And we get it. We get it. That beautiful, almost hidden truth there that was played out in that funeral yesterday. Only those who know their Bibles. In a moment when Christian leaders around the world are challenged about biblical illiteracy in their congregations, let's be people of the Bible. It sounds old-fashioned, doesn't it? But it's so vital. And I'm struggling with this at the moment because I'm, I'm doing a through the Bible in a year course and it's not going well. I'm thinking about renaming it through the Bible in 27 years. And I'm slap bang in the middle of Leviticus at the moment. And I always get into trouble when I mention Leviticus because there are some people out there who love Leviticus and frankly they need to get out more. But no, no, I'm sure it's beautiful. But I'm, I'm in the middle of all these kidneys being chopped up on the altar and don't take the lamb's gizzards and mix it with the chicken tikka masala. And it's like, oh, gosh. But I want to be in the places in the Bible that I don't want to be in. And I want to be someone 
who doesn't just root their faith on the glorious experiences of the Holy Spirit that I've had over the last 40 or something years, and I've had some, but I don't want that to be my foundation. These two, they did express their experience. We've seen the Lord, but they also had a Bible study. Let's be rooted in Scripture. Last thing is this. And that is, let's keep inviting Jesus in. They urged him strongly, stay with us, it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now, some religious people will freak out by this because it seems like Jesus is having a bit of a laugh. They, he, first of all, he says to them, verse 19, he's, they, they, they say, haven't you heard about what's been going on? And Jesus says, what things? I think he knew. He had been right in the middle of those things. But then, I mean, this is challenging for some. It says, as they approached the village, Jesus acted. <laughs> Jesus acted as if he were going further. There is no way around this. I can't bluff you on this. The Greek word there means pretended. Now, this says something remarkable to us about Jesus, particularly if you're one of those joyless Christians who is about eventually going to smile when, you know, you die. But in the meantime, you're assuming a posture of utter and pure, consistent constipation. This is going to be a problem for you because Jesus... Did I say that? Because Jesus is pretending. He's giving them the impression of something. But I don't think he's just having a laugh. And he's certainly not being cruel. I suggest to you that he is waiting to be wanted. And he gives the impression, I'm heading on now. And then it says, they urged him strongly. And by the way, this wasn't a British sort of, I say, you fancy popping in for a glass of sherry, a little cheese, snacky biscuits. No, urge, urge him strongly. This is like, this is like, you are not going any further. You are coming in to have supper with us. We absolutely insist. Here's the thing. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 17. Henry VIII, Henry VIII was marrying his second wife at that point. And I was very excited about that. And I'm, I'm 65 in a few weeks. I know I look older, I've had a rough life. But I want to keep on inviting Jesus into my life for every season. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, he says. He's standing outside the door. And by the way, he's trying to talk to his church in the book of Revelation there. And he says, if anyone opens the door, I'll, I'll, come, I'll, I'll come in. I'll have supper with you. Invited in. Well, they recognise it's him. And as I close, I already mentioned a conclusion. Now I'm mentioning a close. Preachers use this kind of language to give the congregation hope, basically. What happens is they realise it's him. And they get up and they head back down that dark road renowned, infamous I should say, for being dangerous, bandits, thieves. And they head back to Jerusalem. Two things before we pray. 
First of all, Jesus met them while they were heading in the wrong direction. I like that. Because as soon as they figure out who He is, they have to turn around and go back. If you've got a loved one who is currently walking away from Jesus, they're going down the wrong pathway, I want you to be comforted because Jesus can meet them out there on the road, even as they go the wrong way. I also want you to know that when Jesus comes into your life, it's not just that you get a little religious addendum to your life, a little add-on, stained glass double glazing and you listen to Harry Seacombe records and sing hymns on Sunday morning. No, Jesus brings revolution, revolution. They turned around and they braved the dangers because now everything was different because Jesus was alive. The invitation to follow Jesus. And in a few moments from now, there will be an opportunity for you here, present here, those watching online, wherever in the world you are, there will be an opportunity for you to make a turnaround and begin a new journey with Jesus. Steve will be helping us with that. But before we go there, before we affirm our faith in worship once again, let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this beautiful resurrection story. And we thank You for the truth that we are not alone, that as You walked alongside the road with them, so You walk with us, You draw near. We pray today that You will help us, especially when our faces are downcast, when we don't feel we can take a step further. Help us to be honest with You to be real with You. Show us, Lord, how we can build stronger foundations in Your Word and upon Your Word. And then, Lord, we ask You to help us to keep inviting You for supper. I'm conscious, Lord, in this prayer, people in this building, people watching online, who find themselves in seasons that they did not anticipate. Whatever they are, wherever they are, may it be that we are saying, don't go any further, Jesus, come in. Sit at the head of the table, take charge. So we give you thanks in Jesus' Name, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.